What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! All aboard! I brought my pencil! What do you wanna do with your life? Walk on home, boy! Yeah! Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to another episode of Rank 'em All. See, that, that doesn't work as well like with the bruise with these because you have the, the pause. It was good enough. It was good enough. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in yet again. Um, we've got our uh, all-star cast, Journey into Comics, a little bit of uh, everybody from all the different corners. Um, we got Mr. Brando. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited to actually get to sit down to talk about one of the biggest, greatest, and most highest-selling albums of all time. We're still working on uh, getting through Metallica. Um, We are on the Black Album. Uh, Is it the Black Album? Is it the self-titled? Is it both? All of the above. James calls it the Black Album, even though it is technically self-titled. That's just what he refers to it as, so I'll go by his judgment. Um, terribly unfortunate uh, fact here. When you type in the Black Album, Jay Z's album mm-hmm. comes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> back to introductions. We've got Mr. Nate Phillips, the Podfather. How you doing, sir? Hanging in there, my friend. We're surviving 2020 in this crazy world we live in, as I always say. But I, as Brando said, I'm just going to echo the sentiment. The Black Album, one of the coolest experiences in music growing up i mean we're going to be talking about it today uh and even relevant now as it's re-entered the billboard charts if you guys can even believe that which is insane um, doesn't it do it often mm-hmm. i feel like every every couple of years it jumps back on if i might add uh right now is actually the 40th anniversary of metallica being around hmm so it's that anniversary time of year, and whenever it hits that like five or ten year mark, bands tend to get their replays and stuff. And this being one of the all time favorites is a contributing factor to why it's up in the billboards again. Because people are like, "Oh, hey, Metallica Day! Let's put and stream my fucking favorite album, mm-hmm. Black." Uh, you got Load, you got uh, Ride the Lightning, and Injustice for All. I think are like the top four. Metallica albums out there. I don't know. I bet one of those guys knows. Um, so we, uh, we've also got, uh, what do we want to call him this time? The Porn Lord, uh, the <laughs> Dong Father. Keeper of uh, the Jack Top. Um, Mr. Dong himself. Well, what uh, was that name you gave him a while back that he just hated? I don't remember. He doesn't like new- a lot. Which one? I gave I gave up on hating them, Nick, a long time ago. I embrace them now. Good as you should. It was, um, and then we've got a special guest today, Mr. Austin Hill. Hello, yeah, hello. Yeah. He's the first guest on Rank 'em All. So, so I thought well, of a new nickname uh, for you, Nick. Uh, whenever you want to use it, the Surveyor of Doom. Mm. You know, because as we get into our older age, you know. You know, you, so you know, it's almost like you show up with like a clipboard and a pen, and you're watching around, and you have your pen, and you're like, "This is an adequate amount of doom." And, and you, I like you, that. You <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna add that character to my repertoire. I think that makes character number six. <laughs> there you go. 
man. All right. So, um, better powder boys, let's get at her. Uh, Brandon, you want to you want to take us away with your fun facts? Well, uh, yes, absolutely. So, the self-titled Metallica record was the fifth album uh, to be produced by the band. It came out in, on August twelfth, nineteen ninety one. It is twenty nine years old today, or this month. It, it, it would have been today, like if this would have happened, like we thought it was going to happen. Uh, but it it was recorded over a matter of almost like uh, just over six months, eight months. And uh, it was produced by Bob Rock, and it was the first album to be produced by Bob Rock and would be an award-winning combination that would last for over 10 years uh, as Bob Rock would stay with them. This album marks a bit of a departure from what we have seen. We, you know, you know, we, you know, they started off really, as we've discussed here on this show, the, the first album is just very just quick, thrashy attack. They started experimenting with more moods, and uh, more more complexity with Ride and then Master and then of course Justice. They said let's make every song nine minutes, and then we they they just did that. But but here yeah, they did. yeah but but here they were like you know what after they toured on Justice and they're like we're 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 getting tired of playing the nine minute songs we should we need just to condense these up a bit. And Bob Rock was the perfect guy to come in. Originally he was just going to mix it, but then he he actually wanted to produce it and he pushed these guys. And uh, this album, as we've already mentioned, is a monster success. Uh, whether or not you want to say uh, the mainstream met them, or they met the mainstream, or both, uh, I I would har- I would you know be pretty hard pressed not to say that without you know their natural growth and progression, and then meeting here with where the mainstream was meeting here, we wouldn't have mainstream success with a lot of other heavier bands that we have today, like. It, it just percent. Yes, I mean from you know from Pantera and then 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 into the new metal and then you know going in through to Slipknot and because the th- when you could turn on the like the the modern rock radio FM you know and hear the new Slipknot song being played. You know, back when like twenty years ago you you the, that was your underground band just breaking through. You know all of that kind of dial dial back that a little bit here and. As we said, the album continues to kind of come back into um, to the zeitgeist of the album charts. Uh, it's hard to say how many exactly this album has sold because it's so much. But the but the just the most up to date number on Wikipedia is thirty one million worldwide. Wow, that's an insane number! This album also starts a very interesting trend of Metallica, where from this album on, every release they have released has been a number one. Mm-hmm. Even Since the Black Album. Even St. Anger. Correct. Uh, debuted at number one. But this album also... People uh, didn't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> this album had one, two, three, four, five singles released. Yeah, it, it could be considered a greatest hits album. Oh, damn near. And because of that, and, and, and when you normally release singles, you do, you do so throughout the year or years and they technically started the tour on this on on, on the where, on the wherever we may roam tour, starting on August ninety uh, one, and the last tour that there was one two three four tours technically for this album, and the last date was August twenty first nineteen ninety four. Dang! Wow. So like you know little, little breaks here and there, but that is that is a vicious. Solid three years. Because every time they would be out, they'd be like, "Hey, uh, new uh, new single just went 
platinum over there in Japan. We got to go back. You know, it's like, all right, let's go. But, you know, we've talked about how well it's done. A little bit preamble about the production. Uh, this would be the second album with Jason Newstead on board, so the lineup is pretty solid. Is pretty solidified here for J- with James Hetfield, Kirk Hammett, Jason Newstead, Lars Ulrich, uh, with additional arrangements uh, with from Michael Kamen, which is going to be a name that's going to prop up here in a couple episodes from now. And uh, there are twelve tracks on here, and we're going to get right busy and go right into it. Uh, <clears throat> track number one, guys. With writing credits from James, Lars, and Kirk. They kind of have a trend, and we've talked about this, of starting the album off with a banger. Or at least with a lot of energy. Track one's Inner Sandman. I have a question. Raise your hand. Everybody in, in this room right now, raise your hand if you know any part of this song on any musical instrument. <laughs> even vocals. Even vocals. You know the lyrics. Come on now. Your voice is an instrument. See, we all know the song like, in some okay, form. I, I, I'll say I used to know parts of it on guitar, but I haven't played guitar in 20 years. No, hey, but you at least knew years. some of it on guitar. So it's... I can't say I know it anymore. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> so uh, this was the first single... Off of the album, this is the you know it had the video it was in heavy rotation on MTV, and a, a, a quick real fun fact here, there was a fight about what the first single was going to be. Oh, and I'm so glad that this won over the song. Yeah, that almost Lars was. was pushing for this one. Bob Rock was pushing for Holier Than Now because it had, Ooh. which we'll discuss when we get there, and eventually this won out. Um, I the very first time I ever heard that you know. I I'd heard a couple of Metallica songs before this. I mean, I, I think I got this album in like '99, so like I was just coming right into the, in like, like into this realm or whatever. And the very first time I ever heard this song, I mean, I probably had heard it. I mean, in passing. How do you not hear this song? Watching sports or it, uh, you get you get in the car, turn on the radio, and your dad's like, "Fuck this shit," you know, <laughs> turn it off. Like, I want I want my Skinner. Um, but I'm like, what was that? That sounded cool. But no, it was uh, it was wrestling that got, that got me to hear the song. ECW, Inner, uh, Inner Sandman came on when Sandman would come out. The crowd would go nuts, and they would just be singing it, and it would be have a lot of energy. And I, I had heard a couple songs before, and the next day, after I saw that saw that clip on TV, we went to Walmart. Because where I lived, that was a trek. Like We actually had to drive 45 minutes to go to the nearest Walmart. And I'm looking through the CDs. We're, I'm, good. I'm looking through the CDs, and I got like Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Justice. And I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. All these classic albums. And I find it. <laughs> and I and, and I asked to get it. I put it in my CD player, my little disc man. And I probably listened to the song on repeat for like five times because I was actually able to hear the song in production and just with headphones on and just be engulfed by the sound. And thinking, there's no way, there, 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 there's no way that the album gets better than this. Like this is a killer song. This is the only song I'm ever gonna listen to. But that, like, this is what this is what started my 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 roll into heavy metal. Like, like truly, like a few songs here and there before this, but this was what got me. Like, I have to get all the albums now. I have to hear more. Like, as I let it play on, but <laughs> eventually. But um, 
Dick, we'll start with you next. What Do you have anything to say or any uh, story about the first time you may have heard? So, um, back in the dark times, as I like to call them, before I listened to metal, uh, this was the probably the only Metallica song I had ever heard before I knew who Metallica was mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, as soon as I heard Inner Sandman, oh, this is Metallica. I was like, oh, I know this song. This, yeah, I know this song. Hmm. I can say that about a couple other songs like Raining Blood, uh, Cemetery Gates. I, I had heard those songs before. Didn't know what they were. Just playing video games and shit, you know? Um, this song, it, I mean, it's funny that you guys say that this is, uh, I can't remember who said it, but it, it, you start this album off with a jam. Like, and I would say this is the quintessential Metallica jam. This is this the song is Metallica. It, it gets I need the most, to interject for a second. Well, it just gets the most radio play even today. Like you turn on the radio, pop, like modern radio, and it still gets played. First line of my notes: the quintessential Metallica riff. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I almost <laughs> said word for word what Dick said. That's yeah, fucking it's, crazy. This is the Metallica jam. Like you, I, I think on Master of Puppets, I said Master of Puppets is one of those songs that is Metallica. You think Metallica, you think Master of Puppets. Well, you think Metallica, you think Enter Sandman. Ten. The song has entered rarefied air because when you when you think about bands that have a song that's so successful that it's on repeat and you get sick of it, but the moment you hear it, you know exactly what it is and who it is. Even if yeah. you're not a fan of the band, it's like it doesn't matter if you're in a bar somewhere and you hear the first lick of Sweet Home Alabama, you know what it is. You hear the first Iron Man, you know what it is. You hear the uh, uh, a jump, Van Halen. You, you hear the keyboard, you know exactly what it is. You know, it, it, yeah. it's it's transcended. Yes. like like genre, like yeah. No matter what you like to listen to, you've heard Inner Sandman. And it, it, I don't think it's something that like um, it it uh, it doesn't like push you away. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would say, most people when you think of Metallica, they, uh, the vast majority of people would probably think of Enter Sandman um, because something like Master of Puppets is like fast and thrashy, and that might be too much for some people. But yeah, this for- is extremely uh, radio friendly. Sure, I mean it's if I might add my little bit too uh it's definitely one of those songs that if you are sitting in a bar or pub or restaurant or whatever that is playing music and it's just playing whatever and it's metallica is definitely not your style of music it's not going to be one of those oh man this sucks that that's on you're going to hear it and you're like oh this song's not bad i'm okay with this like Mm -hmm. you kind of get when you listen to like just a random uh generated playlist like if you're just listen to the radio or if you're listening to like top hits radio or something, you're going to get a good variety of music depending on single releases and stuff like that. Otherwise you get kind of like a regurgitated flow of things, but this is one of those songs that will come up and break the mix and people will still go, all right, cool. It's weird. It's weird to imagine anyone that would think that it's too heavy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what is this heavy metal shit? Like, well, it, as over the years, also tastes have kind of changed too. And, uh, as the more of, uh, of the next generation, I guess, 
of of music and rock fans kind of come through. This has just been more generalized, which whether you want to see that as a positive or negative for a band, I, to me as a band, if I was in a band that like this is like a, a, a dream to have a song that is hit that position, you know, to to the point where it's like, man, we could never write another thing in our life. <laughs> we wouldn't, but if we chose not to, if we chose to hang it up today, and they were like what, like twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven when they were doing this album, yeah, probably like twenty, like late twenties, and they wrote this song, and like, and and it doesn't, it doesn't stop here. That's the greatest part is that like, while this is the most generalized, this is the most accessible. There's other songs on here that fit right in that category that just didn't maybe quite reach the height of this song, but that's literally only because this song came first. Yeah, say they're closer to like thirty when this came out because, what, Kill 'Em All? They're just twenty, twenty-one years old when that came out. Mm-hmm. I think James is oh, twenty-eighty-three. I think I, I think James was was twenty-eight when they were working on Black Album, which that's amazing to think that they, like you know, like I'm makes you my, feel like you failed at life when you're like thirty something. <laughs> you're like he was twenty-eight and wrote that. Fuck you, man. So. um Back when I so in May of 2006, VH1 decided to do their Metal Month, mm-hmm. and that was when I went to school on metal. That I had I was into Disturbed and Mushroom Head and all that shit at the time, but this is when I really got a chance to dive into like some of the the metal heritage, if you will. Like Disturbed, yes. Like Disturbed, or like so. They they did top 40 metal songs, top 40 metal most metal songs of all time. Uh, this is according to VH1, not you know real metal fans, but uh, Matt, or Metallica, Enter Sandman is number twenty-two on the list, right in front of Corn, Freak on a Leash, and right behind Guns N' Roses, Paradise City. Yeah, I don't like Paradise it. City is quite a banger. It is. I mean, got to give it up to. It doesn't to... beat Enter Sandman though. I don't know if we will ever rank them all GNR, but. Uh, I would definitely say that sounds like a VH1 list. Yeah. <laughs> um, Master of Puppets is number three. Hey. Black Sabbath Iron Man is number one. That doesn't surprise me. I got a quote from Lars before we get to our ranks for this song, if nobody else has, has anything else to add. I mean, I have notes, but... Oh, well, we'll we'll touch on that before we give the rank. Sure. But I just saw this quote right here, and I love it. He's like, so here's Lars. It's like, you think one day some fucker's going to tell you that... You have a number one record in America, and the whole world will, like, ejaculate. I stood there in my hotel room, and there was this fax that said, you're number one, and it was like, well, okay, just another fucking fax from the office. <laughs> <laughs> now what do we do? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> man, if Metallica would have reached popularity during social media times. Oh, man. What a total different world they would have lived and experienced for sure. But So, yeah. um, so as usual, Nate has his uh, War and Peace book of notes lay it on us man uh obviously we've all said it quintessential metallica riff brando and i can attest that this song has some special history and heritage for us uh especially since we were able to get it played at our high school prom which was awesome and we started a mosh in the middle of the dance floor which was incredible um the main the first riff stolen from Jimi hendrix it's the Jimi hendrix riff played in reverse which Kirk one has said that multiple times the very intro riff the soft no thinking. what Jimi hendrix riff 
Uh, I'm. I didn't look that up. I didn't go. Oh that damn it! My research. <laughs> see, now Sorry. you got me interested. Now, uh, now I'm gonna go through all these Jimi Hendrix songs and play them backwards to see <laughs> to see if it sounds familiar. Uh, James definitely honed his voice a lot more since Injustice for All. You can mm -hmm. tell he's matured a little bit. A very well produced song, Bob Rock, obviously sonically shifting from the last album. Solo, Kirk is grooving. He is just in a very groovy place for that. It's not too thrashy and fast. It finds a very perfect balance in the mix. Uh, it's a powerful headbanger. Goodbye, 80s. Hello, 90s. That's Those are my notes. Solo master. Solo master. Touch on that one. Uh, it's a good solo. Um, pretty good solo. Uh, touches a lot of different uh, uh, different parts, like Kirk's arsenal. Yeah. Uh, you know, he has different kinds of solos um and this one seemed to have a, a good mix of all of them um yeah the, the only thing i had about this is classic talica um one of the first songs you would think of as a general listener um and as best as i can recall this is the first song i ever heard by them awesome so re really fast right right before we give the rank uh, Nate mentioned James' voice. Well, as per usual, when they get warmed up in the studio before they start recording, they kind of just jam on a cover. Or they pick one and they just kind of start jamming it out. And, uh, I don't know, break in some of the new equipment or f try to find, use that to try to find tone or or whatever. You know, it, you know, you, you from all the way from Kill 'Em All with uh, Am I Evil, Blitzkrieg, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That through, through the years, they've kind of done that. Well, they did uh, So What in Stone Cold Crazy during this time. And on So What, James blew his voice out right before they were going to start recording this album. So then he had to go get voice therapy and take lessons on how to repair his voice. And he said he was super freaking nervous that the guy was going to make him sound like an opera singer. But it was just simple voice exercises that to this point he had not been doing at all. And that is why when they were producing this record, he had a lot. He had a little bit more touch in his arsenal. They were trying new things, venturing out of the box, which they did a lot on this record. But they even did that with his voice. But the time has come, fellers. Time to rank this bitch. Uh, we're gonna hit it on over with Nick first. Nick, hit, lay it on me, man. I gave it a seven. Um, it's uh, it's a great song, but it's um. I like a good banger, um, and I, I honestly feel like as good of a song it is, it's not the strongest first song. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, they usually come out the gate like hard as fuck, um, and in terms of like like, like they, they they keep toning the thrashiness down. Um, uh, so yeah, I give it a solid seven. Uh, I'm on the opposite. I think this is the Metallica banger. So 10. Uh, and you know, like, like he was saying with the toning it down with the thrash, uh, when I originally listened to this album for this, I was coming off of listening to master of puppets and injustice for all. So I went into this knowing it better than any other Metallica album. However, I was like, I, these songs don't resonate with me as much now that I've really gone through the others. And uh, listening for it, listening to it again for actually recording at this time, 
uh, I was like, okay, I appreciate this again. Cool. So, 10. Nate. Uh, nine. Just short and sweet. It's not the perfect song. And actually, in a lot of ways, you know, people can say this is where Metallica started to soften up their sound and their style and become more palatable to everybody else. Um, but those notes, and, and I don't mean actual music notes, I mean just the, the tricks they use in this album, have been sprinkled in all the albums before. We're just getting larger doses of stuff that isn't as noticeable until it's shined you know, brightly. And um, it's definitely a departure from what we knew in the old era of Metallica, but I do think it is a great ushering in of the new era. That's why, it, for me, you know, end of story is nine. There is no way that I couldn't give this song a ten, just from my own personal taste. It, while as a fan, I went on to like other songs, maybe even more than this. You know, uh, when this comes on now, do I always listen to it? No. You know, it. This is a skippable. This is one of the ten skippable tracks for me. <laughs> but I just can't. It's hard for me to give it a nine because this is the song that started it all for me. This is the. This was the song that laid that. Well, I had heard "Seek and Destroy" on WCW. I heard "Fuel" on the Hot Wheels racing game on PS. Also NASCAR. And it, well, and eventually NASCAR. But like when I heard this and I had the headphones on and I heard it and it was like a wall of sound and I was like, it, it ended and I couldn't go forward. I'm like, again, again, again. <laughs> and I, because of that, because of the seed that this song sowed in me to just continue on my path, all the different bands, all the different songs that I love, maybe even again, more than this song. It wouldn't happen if it weren't for this song for me. So, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is my salute to this song. This song did it. Um, but then, as I said, I, I kept hitting the back button, kept hitting the back button, and I remember on the way home, you know, as I said, it was only a 45 minute drive, but we stopped at my aunt, aunt and uncle's house, and he said, "Hey, we're gonna go in here and talk for a bit. Do you want to come in?" I said, "No, I'm staying in the car listening to the CD." And I, the one time I didn't hit back, and I let it go, and the first note of the next song hit me. And I was sitting in the back seat. And the next thing I knew, I, I was back in the trunk. You know, I was the dude. Shot on, you through the back seat. I was the dude, on, on the again, on the CD of, like, the Maxwell, just, like, that wall of sound. I, I want to say this is, the like, one of the few songs, like, maybe the only song on this album that was actually recorded in, like, D standard. It's a, it's, yeah, it's got a deep, down. It's got a deeper tone to it. Uh, but track two is Sad But True, and it's got a writing credit for James and Lars on this. Originally, the, the 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 demo was much faster. Bob told him to, "Okay, can you slow that down?" And they looked at him like, "Who the fuck are you, telling us to slow down?" Fuck you. They were very rebellious. Still, they did not like anybody fucking with their shit. Do not come into here and tell us how to do this. And he's like, "That's why I'm here. I'm here to challenge you guys. It's going to sound better if you slow that down." And then they're like, "Shit, you right? You right, Bob Rock? Yeah, you right." But Sad But True, uh, the Sad But True, I believe, was the last single that was released from the album. The last single. So the album came out in, uh, the first single was July 29, 91. The last single was February 8th, 93. Think about that. That is, that this album had shelf life. And it still does, because we just mentioned how many albums, like, it, it re-entered the album charts with 5,000 copies sold around the anniversary time of its, you know, of, like, of its release. You know? I don't think the bands managed to do that until, like, Nickelback, with all the right reasons. Like, they had singles coming out for, like, three years after, too. <laughs> Maybe. 
But like, didn't they release like eight or nine singles from that one? Maybe. Yeah. The whole album was a single. five song album. Wow. <laughs> but sad but true, guys. Uh, this was also, as I said, it, like it was a single. It's track two. It's almost the exact same length as the first song, just ten seconds shorter. Uh, this time, uh, Dick. Wait, no, Dick went first last time. Who went first last time? Nate. Nick. Nate. Nate will go first this time. Okay, sure. Okay, going to the wall of notes here. Uh, for Sabbath True, I have written aggressive tone that slaps right away, like you were saying. It fucking just kicks your dick in. You're like, whoa, too much. Uh, <laughs> a first for Metallica using complete silence before fully kicking into the song. Like it has this temporary full stop, and you're like, what? And then the, you hear the dot, 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 dot. Boom, it kicks in. You're like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm there. Uh, heavier than heavy. This song literally is just so fucking heavy. It's crazy to me. The bass is mixed so much better on this album. Mm-hmm. It actually plays a part in sonically what's happening with these songs. Uh, the duality of lyrics, again, relating to um, somebody being a master over you and also being an idol to others who experiences things they don't get to and you kind of live through these people which again james having just amazing ability to take and split your brain between which which way do you think he's really singing about um again control out of control uh so many layered guitars in the chorus if you're listening with headphones and especially if you're listening with headphones on the microsoft zune just saying (laughs) (laughs) you and that damn zune Hey, I'm going to mention it every episode because I've listened to every single one of these through the Zoom <laughs> to really give it a, the the true test. The solo is awesome. Post-solo chorus totally jams. You know, um, that last verse, you just scream it so fucking hate. I'm your hate. Like, oh. Um, you should have done I'm your vocals. hate when you want love. Like, you should have done what? the vocals for the song. And it sounds just like that. Hate. I'm your hate. Eight. When you want love. Eight. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound that way, but yes. Um, <laughs> it's almost love- like if Christopher Walken, like, hate. Yeah, I'm your hate when you want love. <laughs> we are now, the think, now I'm thinking of Christopher Walken doing that. Yeah, there you go. Yep, thank you. You're, and you're welcome. Uh, no, dude, the layers on this song is amazing. If you sit back and... They released a uh, classic albums for this album um, where uh, they they go through and they're sitting in a studio and they're turning off certain things for the master tracks. And there's so many different stuff that they've layered because um, if there's one thing that if you're in a band, you, you know, you can't just keep adding the same guitar playing the same riff on top of each other. It just becomes muck. But if you add one guitar playing the riff and another one over here doing an accent or this one over here doing this one and just like, harmonies and stuff it, it, it creates it's something that you know maybe they can't replicate live but you don't need to live the live you're just worried about you know throwing your horns up and you know banging your head but on an album yeah. like you said it's that wall of sound and it continues with this song nick who are you going to next yes um so I just love the vocals on this one. It's it's one of my favorite songs um, vocally, just the, the way that he says things, um, the, the verses and the chorus, like 
just the delivery is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I really, really love this song, the note I wrote about the solo is the solo acts like it forgot to solo. <laughs> um, like, like I felt like he started and you're like, oh, fuck, here it comes. And he's like, nah, nah, that was it. <laughs> um, yeah, this one, this is this is one of my favorite songs by them. It's it's uh, it's like you said, it, it's slower, like like the the main riff that drives it, like they slow it down a little bit, but it's so heavy. Um, so it's one of their best. You could kind of see where they were going, like when they did Harvester of Sorrow and Justice, and then the, the, you can hear this one, and you can almost see like, oh, okay, yeah. I kind of see like uh, this was like the mastering that quintessential slower chunkier song that they that we heard and for whom the bell tolls and then you know harvester they've been working on it and they figured it out yes they did yeah absolutely how about you dick last but not least uh you guys have all pretty much said anything i could possibly say about this it's so fucking heavy i love it uh i can't just it's up for debate where where i heard it first uh i either heard it first on guitar hero metallica the demo that i played in uh either gamestop or best buy or some shit or the first time i heard it was uh kid rocks american badass God damn it. <laughs> i knew you were gonna fucking man then the uh, day i figured that one out <laughs> you know I- i'd already had this album for a while i love this album and then i got history of rock i'm, I'm banging that and i we-, we were rolling down the interstate i remember back there like in with my disc man and I'm just listening to it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, I've heard this before. And then I look in the liner notes because I had the CD case with me. And it's like, special thanks to James Heffield, Lars Ulrich. Ah, thief. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm super glad that like, okay, it, it, for as much as it sucks that I didn't really know this song before I heard it on Guitar Hero Metallica. Uh-huh. I didn't really do a deep dive into Metallica. I just listened to like Inner Sandman and a couple other songs, and, and I guess Death Magnetic, because uh, that came out at, while I was a fan of them. Yeah. Uh, and then I hear this, and I'm like, whoa! So it, it's it's really cool that the first time I heard this was while I was a fan. Like, it didn't it didn't hit me out of nowhere when like I didn't know shit about metal. It was just like. Whoa! This is awesome, and I could I feel like I appreciate it so much more because it came right. to me so. Late, I guess. Um, uh, so if anybody hasn't heard the mashup of Sabbath True and Superstitious from Stevie Wonder, go do that because then you'll realize that there's this song kind of has a jazz flow to it as well. Um, never would have thought, man. That is it vibes so it hard, does dude. it is so they added in the superstitious little bass little twangs and it's fun it's so much fun but this song is fun um for rank dick what do you give this one bud man I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it ten ten all right Nate uh, nine point two five did Austin have any thoughts on sad but true sad but true. I honestly haven't listened to this album in a while, but uh, since we're recording now and I discussed earlier, it's the first CD I ever owned. Like awesome. this is my introduction to Metallica because I had probably heard them before, but I was young enough just to not know. And it was one of those surprise presents. My dad got me this little boombox CD player and this album for Christmas. And 
So Enter Sandman was like, boom, kicked off great. And I ranked it about thinking back and trying to remember it since the last time I heard it. Like I've, I've been on with what I'm looking at next ranks on these, but uh sad, but true was like one of those that was like brought you. I felt like it was one of those songs that really brought you down off of that inner Sandman, just big opening rush and just prepared you for the rest of the album. It was like that great follow-up song to that big, just in your face, inner Sandman getting it. And then this took the heaviness, but kind of like settled you down into what you're about to get into. Awesome. Fuck yeah. Awesome. Nick, what'd you got it's for funny. a rank on this? Is that on me? Is that what you said? Yep. Um, I get a seven five. Um, it, it's a great song. It's one of those, um, uh, Austin kind of mentioned something like you hear these songs before you know who they are, before you're a fan. Um, and, there's gotta be five songs on this album that I'm like, Oh, I, I, I heard this on the radio, you know, um, before I knew who Metallica was. Um, so it's a song I've been listening to since well before I knew what it was called before I knew who Metallica was. Um, I guess I am, I'm being kind of stingy with my ratings, aren't I? Um, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I, I give it a 7.5. I gave this song a nine. I think uh, Austin said it really well. This is like a good one-two punch with Sandman and then this song coming right after it. As I said, the moment I let that CD continue on uh, and and this song hit me, I was just like, you know, I, I didn't think that, it, that any album could get any better from that first song. I, I was on such a high. And then this song hit. So, I no, I gave it a nine for sure. Um, this yeah. is that good. Man, I just got hit in the face real hard. I can't really see. I'm trying to breathe and focus. And then, then this hits you in the gut and pulls all that focus back in and makes you re- really just, <gasps> okay, time to get back in action with what's in front of me. Oh, absolutely. Because then the third song hits. And, you know, when I when I heard this song, it, it, it is stripped down. But there's portions of this song. And there's a few other songs here also. That, that that we're going to talk about. This next song, Holier Than Thou, it's not a single. And I believe the writing credit is still just James and Lars. This song almost gives me justice vibes. Like, not like... Think of like... This would be like a, like a three-minute segment of a song on Justice or something. <laughs> you know, this is a really condensed... Like, they went through and they just compacted it. Uh, because it's it's fast, it's energetic. That's why Bob Rock wanted it to be the single because James hadn't finalized the lyrics. It was it, it sounded exactly like you know the same energy that they had in the, in the album prior. Uh, holier than now, and we'll start this time with uh, uh, Nick. Nick, what do you got for me on Holier Than Now? So uh, this is one that uh, I hadn't listened to a whole lot mm-hmm. uh, before. Um, I really like. Uh, the lyrical content. Um, it's a very lyrically, it's a very James song. Um, if that makes sense, um, yeah. I kind of like to know who it's about. Cause it sounds like he's fucking pissed at somebody. <laughs> um, Directly. Um, the first half, you, it sounds like he's just talking about um, people gossiping and um, making theirs off of yours. Um, but yeah, he did. Someone pissed James off. Um, 
I like the solo. Um, but but I feel like Kirk was getting in a, like a rhythm. I, his solos are starting to sound the same. Um, he definitely does a good job of differentiating. But like you're listening to the solo and you're like, oh, he's getting ready to jump up. And then he does it almost every time. So um, <laughs> good song. It was fun revisiting it. I liked it uh, more than more than I remember. Dick. This song is okay to me. Uh, it's got a pretty thrashy intro, quirky riff. Um, my notes say what I just said. And uh, it's just a fun jam. <laughs> <laughs> my what? notes said exactly what I just said. <laughs> uh, great so. analysis, Dick. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, song. Uh, I don't got Austin, man, what do you got? I, uh, honestly... Don't remember much about this song, mainly because where it's at in the lineup mm-hmm. from the song that follows it, easily forgotten. Sandwiched in between a couple monsters. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Nate, yeah. do you have notes? I do. The notes are shorter, but that's fine. Um, powerful intro, kind of like what you guys have already said. Again, in this album, you're noticing more effects on everything. Yeah, You can hear a lot more different pedals are being used, different uh, reverbs are being used to really produce the sound of Metallica. Mm-hmm. Um metalheads don't say crap. That's why that was not going to ever be a viable solo or a uh, first single like <laughs> no more crap rolls out your mouth again. I've never been in a line I've ever said except for when I'm singing this song. Anti-religion definitely has that vibe like in the duality of the tones. I got jump in the fire vibes from this song. If you guys think back to Kill 'em All that it was kind of that like Okay, yeah, it's a good song, but it's very forgettable and doesn't do a lot for me. That's kind of where I felt this was. Um, I literally put solo is thrashy but unmemorable, right along with what Nick was saying. And then I said, wait, a bass solo, because there's that one little section where Jason gets to break away and has like a moment to play the notes where no one else is playing. So it is a solo, but it's not really him getting to be creative in a solo, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, That's all I have for my notes. Um I really like the energy of the song. Uh, of the song that songs that are like what you consider B sides, this is probably my second favorite, simply because it's got the energy. And um, if anybody has not done so, check out the Testament cover of the song. It kills. Definitely, it's awesome. Like, I mean, it just basically they take a song that's already pretty good. And they just improve it because number one, it's Chuck Billy on vocals, and number two, they add like another guitar solo near the beginning. So, always down for that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna go right along with the ranks here. Nate, hit me on with that rankage. Six point seven five. You and those points, Nick. I gave it a solid six. Um, I hate I hate the word. It sounds demeaning, but the forgettable. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's okay. from lack of content or just uh being on an album with so many bangers but i gave it a six dick seven seven i gave this song an eight as i said it's kind of like my second favorite of it and i was teetering and that day i was in a good mood so i gave it an eight (laughs) (laughs) uh the next song it was also a single 
Gonna be saying that a lot here. Um, I believe this was the second single released on October 28th of 91. The Unforgiven. Um, this is the, this follows another trend that we've seen. Track fours, track fours. Ride the Lightning, Fade to Black, Master of Puppets, Welcome Home Sanitarium, Justice for All, One, Black Album, The Unforgiven, where it's like a, a quasi semi ballad, but it's but it's still heavy. You know that fourth batter position, ready to hit that fucking home run. Yeah, exactly. I didn't put that. I didn't put that together. That that, that all the fourth tracks were. Well, it, that's I, that can't be a coincidence. You know. Well, also, uh, ride the lightning, master puppets, justice, a second track, all title tracks. Title tracks. Yep. And then Saint Anger would bring that back in. Uh, when they would do Saint Anger and for for title track, it's I want I I want to say that Austin just said something without even meaning to that just jogged my memory. I I heard the best um, comparison to Metallica songs, and it came from the weirdest spot. And it is that Metallica, musically speaking, is like an amazing baseball player. You're not always going to hit a home run. You're not always going to have a grand slam. But sometimes the bunts count. Sometimes striking out when the team needs you to counts. And they've found a way to constantly do that within their music somehow and make everything, even if it's not the greatest ever, it counts. Um, yeah. The they always seem to, they seem to have a really good balance. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got one of, if you've got a, a forgettable track, You've got another one right there that is really fucking awesome. Um, at least through these first couple albums. So. The Unforgiven has writing tracks from James, Lars, and Kirk for The Unforgiven. Uh, with this one, since they had done sort of the track four uh, ballad-ish, it was Lars's suggestion that they flip it where the verses are heavy and the chorus is soft. And um, let me just say that for me, as I said, you know, first time I ever listened to this, when I, when I went to this song, I was like, whoa, okay, now we're going to slow it down a little bit. And then it, I, the intro with that inverted Clint Eastwood horn, uh, which was lifted from one of, from one of the movies, which, is with her, which I'm not going to say. That's not, that is not, man, Metallica does that a lot. They lift stuff. And they don't ever say where it's from. Uh, but... Um, the horn into the nice acoustic guitar, and as soon as you like, it has a cool opening, and then it just hits you in with the verse riff, with that crunch, and like, okay, we're still heavy, all right, man. Um, if there was a way, and this is just my opinion, this is, this, this I, I'm instantly, this is spoiler right here because we're not into rank yet, but if there was a way to give this song an eleven. Like in Spinal Tap, I would. Because I think the song, we've already said it with Sandman, and even as somewhat with Seb, but true, where, this song, where it's like quintessential Metallica. And, and then I even said it way back on Justice when we talked about one. It's like, that's a really good showcase song of everything they can do. Melody, penmanship with lyrics, uh, composition within, 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 within the different build-ups. This song is... It's melodic, heavy, thematic within lyrical content, heavy with it within the vocals, soft and tender within the vocals. It's a song that gives you everything on a silver platter. 
Dick, what do you got? All of that. No, uh, it's uh, a. <laughs> is that what you wrote? Whatever Brando said. I don't. For, for, okay. Everything <laughs> you said. Copy Brando's so, notes. I actually didn't write any notes for the big songs of this album. I only wrote notes for the songs that are lesser known, I guess. Because um, I. Good balls. <laughs> yes. Um, no, so. Brandon said it. It's the fucking jam. You know, I love the dynamics of the, the reverse dynamics of the song, mm-hmm. if you will. How you got the heavy verses, and then it goes into that smooth, soft chorus, and it's yeah. And then the solo. Oh. Yes. 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 Nick. Agreed. Um, so it's one of my uh, favorite intros. Um, the the guitars at the beginning are just amazing. The way it comes in. Um, the interlude to the solo, um, I fucking love it. And then the solo itself is amazing. Um, I wrote that it's the standout solo of the album. Um, it makes you feel the feels and it's, it's a solo that, uh, that fits the song perfectly. It's kind of a somber song. And when he hits that solo, I feel like he, he really he puts you he puts you there perfectly. Um, and my last note was just uh, the lyrical content was just on point. Um, I, I love the way he writes, and I, I feel like I feel like he did a lot of really good writing uh, lyrically on this album. This song is kind of about James growing up and early on in his life about being kind of raised in a Christian science home and having that doctrine kind of like face your way forward. And so like they're pretty much trying to guide him in a certain direction. And this, all the unforgivens that he's written very deeply personal to him, something that he was going through. You know, he, in this one, he's writing about how he can, he can never forgive his parents maybe for that because he was so blind, you know, and then we'll talk about the other ones as, as we go along. But like, you know, while 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 he's a great lyric, uh, uh, you know, a, a good lyricist, and he's has so many great ones, and and then of course as time would go, he would also open up those walls even more, yeah, going into load, which is why that album, the lyrics weren't really printed in the art book because they he felt like they were a little too personal, and he wanted the art to speak for itself. He wanted you to listen to what he had to say instead of just read it, um, but. Nate, what do you got? Uh, okay, so for the un- Unforgiven, you guys have touched on a lot of what my notes say, talking about the amazing acoustic intro that, that kills every time. Uh, something that isn't said, the bass really fills the intro in nicely. If you're really, again, tuned in on the headphones and whatever listening device, whether it be a Zoom or not, you know, like that bass really fills it in and gets you. Uh, Nick nailed it with themes being ultra-relatable, and, like, you can just feel the pain he's feeling as he's singing about it uh that's one thing i really want to touch on is this is the first time in metallica's entire history james has stripped the gruff from his voice in parts of this song and you're hearing him beautifully sing melodically with intent where he's he's following you know a little bit of probably his vocal lessons and going oh i can do this to take it to the next level 
and not hurt my voice all in the same swoop. And that it really, again, shines how amazing he is, uh, musically speaking. Bob Rock. Bob Rock worked with him tirelessly on this song and a few others on this album. Take by take. Try this. Do this. Go lower. Not that. No. Here. Miss the key. There. You know. Try it again. You didn't quite get that God sound, that Hetfield God tone that you have. You know, he, he kept guiding him through one after another. And while James is in there pacing back and forth, just doing vocals all day, trying to nail it, the hard work is in the pudding here. For sure. Definitely. Uh, the acoustic interlude, like Nick said, mm. is the gr- – it's like – you know when you're on the like an amazing roller coaster and the first part of the roller coaster really sets you up for how much fun you're about to have mm-hmm. this interlude does that it really puts you in the place to feel and then when that non-acoustic very abrasive heavy sliding guitar intro hits you if if as a human person and especially with how crazy people and everything that's been going on in the world right now has been like that main solo can just make you cry in an instant if you're just in the right headspace and take you fully into a different realm that music, you know, really it's special when it does that, when it can move you to an actual emotion. It's so much bigger than just like, oh, I know the lyrics and I can sing along. It makes me feel nice. Like I'm feeling something more than just what the lyrics do for me mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, this song has harmonic perfection. And that is something that we don't touch a lot on, on on their entire discography. But this is one of the shining moments where everything that is serving the song serves it flawlessly. And that's all my notes say. Austin, you got anything to say on this one? It's it's one of those songs that I remember being younger, looking past it. But as I like, one of the things that brought me back to it made me realize, oh shit, this is great. I remember the debut of the music video for it. And watching that and then just getting blown away and going, what? And then seeing, oh, it's a black album. going, wait, I have that. And putting it back in and just going, <laughs> what was I sleeping on right here? Mm-hmm. He was there in front of you the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Because my favorite song is actually later on in the album, initially from this album. But this actually turned into, it was like this one and then this next one. Not the next one on the list, but later on in the album, it's like my two top tracks on this like i'd go ahead and run into my rank i'd rank this at a solid 10 all right solid. so boom so nick is that your rank too or do you have a different one i gave it uh 8.25 8.25 dick what do you got for me 10 10 nate 10 10 i sounds a lot of 10s from I, I already said 11 uh, but I can't yeah. <laughs> um, not by our own rules one out of you know you know, like we're not giving zeros because zeros means a complete lack of effort I mean <laughs> you know like a zero would be like if you just like like this they song just, doesn't exist if they just left the, the track blank <laughs> Lars farting on his snare drum <laughs> spoiler there is a song on this album that I'm gonna somewhat shit on okay I'm, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And I don't, I don't get anywhere near zero. But, it, but I've never gotten, I've never given something such a low ring. I'm like, guys, what the fuck is going on here? It'd be fun if you guys can guess what it is. Um, 
I'm not going to tell you now. We're going to wait till we get there. We can wait. I have a guess. I think I know what it is, but I'll wait. Yeah, we'll wait. Be a surprise. The next song was also a single. (laughs) I believe this was the the fourth single. Fourth. October 19th, 1992. Propelled them onto yet another tour, probably. When they literally had a... I believe one of the tours was nowhere else to roam. <laughs> like, yeah, yep, we just we're coming back around again. Uh, and of course, they all. Uh, it was during this cycle. I think the second album or the second tour was the um, co-headline with Guns N' Roses with the uh, a stadium tour where James got messed up uh, and the riot happened. In the riot, yeah, that, that was in what, that was the same night. Hmm. It was the same night when uh, James got hurt and the riot happened. Yep. Yep. Uh, I believe that was in Montreal. But wherever I may roam, with writing credits going to James and Lars, uh, I was looking to see if this is the longest track on the record, and it's not. It only it, it only misses it only misses it by by five seconds. But wherever I may roam, track five, yet another monster song. Um, who to start with? We'll start with Austin this time. <laughs> That's less effort than Vic puts in. No, I'm reading these lyrics and I'm like, it has been a minute since I've listened to this album, and I'm like trying to remember the way it goes. And I'm like, I can remember the the lyric wherever I may roam. It's got that guitar and opening with the with the uh, how many string bass, Nate? It was a uh, twelve a twelve string bass. String bass, yes, it was with that opening bong. <laughs> Um, like I'm, I'm drawing blanks on it. Like, that's what we should add to this, guys. We should do mouth versions of the song. <laughs> they can't get us a copyright for that. We'll just over here acapella and. Well, and that's funny Although, because if, if somebody could just built out a quick uh, chorus of it, I could probably just from sound memory. Uh, will that get us copyrighted? Well, okay. So the original demo of this song was James. He had written the vocal melodies, but he didn't have words yet. So if you listen to the classic albums of the demo, it's him going wa na 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 yeah. Na 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 And then wa na 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 anywhere Wherever I may roam Where I lay my head is home Yeah And there's the whip Yeah it's coming back to me It's coming back to me all right, now this this gave me a very. Uh, now I'm thinking back. To, <laughs> that was, I have more of a memory where it's kicking in my. Uh... That is kind of sad. He 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 asked for like something to remind him, and I'm like, I, I, Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah, all like... of you like a minute and a half to actually come up with something that actually <laughs> got me to like. All right, what's this like iconic chorus from it that's gonna make me go? Oh yeah, but yeah, I remember it made me think of like fucking. Old Western cowboy in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, mm-hmm. you know, just some gunslinger vibes, yeah. some like old school, like old gunslinger vibes at the yeah. end of his fucking days, just like moving town to town, and it's definitely like 
down on his luck, can't sling anymore because he's going to die the next time he does it. And it's kind of just his, it's always the his, last his time. on his way out ballot. Yeah, this song is definitely about like their endless tour cycles. And which is ironic because this album would pr- propel them on an endless tour cycle for the next three years. And this would just encompass that entire period. You know, this was their turn the page as far as theme goes. Um, it, it's hard when I listen back on this because this album, is, it, it, it does mean so much to me. When, when you get to these big bangers, like, I'm definitely very generous with this album. Uh, in my memory and also upon re-listen. But, uh, uh, Dick, you're, you're nodding in agreement, so what do you got for me? Uh, I, I love the uh, the riff that, that everybody's been singing along to. Uh, it's, it's such a cool riff. Uh, like you just said, um, it. I feel like this is Metallica's song. Mm-hmm. Like I, Because I, they wrote it. No, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I feel like this is, is about them. like because uh, they've been constantly on this, uh, on constantly touring and all that. It's like they don't really have a home except for the road. Mm-hmm. That's the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I would I would go as far as saying this is top three songs on this album. What I really and, loved is uh, that you know what the- at the very last chorus he changes the like the lyric instead of it like, instead of it being you know where i lay my head is home and then he uh, he's like basically what's going to be etched into my tombstone when i die is my body lies but still i roam cuz even death will not stop me <laughs> from from That's touring awesome. the lyrics are so cool that is so good yeah that that double line trying to do is so good it is god good. damn it james you son of a bitch. <laughs> Nate, what do your notes got for us? Uh, first line, ooh, sitar. Because <laughs> that was where my brain was at. I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I forgot. Okay, okay so was this uh, after or during uh, said um, experimental time? No, no, no. This the, I Listen, you guys, uh, this rank them all took place like fucking four weeks ago i think okay because <laughs> i powered through i was like like after we did justice i was like i'm going to finish them all so i don't have to do this anymore <laughs> and then i was like i can only write so long before my hands started to fucking hurt but anyways so wherever my roam sitar's awesome punchy intro honestly totally underrated in this song i really love lars's drumming sets this song so well it makes the song as powerful as it is and as impactful you guys have nailed it with the duality of being homeless and or on the road and endlessly not at home um there's so much attack in the guitar tone for this song really when you're listening in the headphones it really hits you there's some really sick lead work happening between like choruses and verses interspersed that are just little couple second lead totally serves the song makes it feel huge uh the solo is passionate and catchy is what i wrote which yeah i can believe that uh wah wah lots of wah wah because that solo's got lots of wah wah uh my body lies but still i roam is literally the last line i wrote and then the ounce solo is just a blazer it just Um, fucking shreds so i had something damn it i had something i was gonna say it's mark my words. 
and it was going to be an additive. Turn it. Can I just say I love James's voice in this song? And this you you can you just did well, all the little things they do like <laughs> going into the second verse like mm-hmm. and the earth becomes my throne and the earth becomes my, my throne. throne oh dude yeah. he, he he belts it and it does a lot of all cool the stuff in the forest like um what I was gonna say where I completely just lost track Nate you you mentioned Lars's drumming and for this album if you watch go back and watch the year and a half in life making of Lars beats the crap out of his drum set when he when he plays he he you know, everything is adequately mic'd and he's Broke still a fucking snare he he still <laughs> hits it like he's trying to break it and it really rings true in songs like sabbat true and wherever i may roam where it's a bit a little bit of a slower pace and he's just like thumping that thing you know but uh yeah man that's i i think we've pretty much kind of said it um where do we leave off with the ranks? Do, 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 do. Dick. I believe Dick is next. Ten. Ten. Another ten. Nate. 8.75. Nick. <clears throat> 6.75. Wow. Yeah, he's being uh, really he he's really is holding it? this album to the fire. Um I gave it a nine. Because this song is a banger. I love it. I love playing this. It, it's it got cool vibes all the way through. Uh, this song is one of those songs, like, not just literally because it's about traveling. This is the, this is the song that I crank in the car when it's on. Um, I'm, I'm very much about songs that, like, really fit the mood. Uh, you know, it's easy to just be get pumped up every time I hear certain songs like Cowboys from Hell. I'm, like, drumming on the on the steering wheel, and I'm ready to, like, go punch the next guy that I can see get out of the car. I'm just ready to kick somebody's ass. But this is a song. It's badass, but I can still lean back and be into it. But uh, so the next song, guys, next song, not a single. Not a single. Not a single at all. Don't tread on me. This is uh, partly where the album cover comes from because of the snake on the cover. Uh, this is something, uh, I believe, the uh, writing credits, which is hilarious. Uh, nope, nope, never mind. Never mind. I, was, I was looking at the, at the next one. This is James and Lars. I, th- I thought it said Kirk because the intro lick was Kirk stealing... West Side Story. That's coming to America. West Side Story. And he's like, (laughs) no one will ever figure this out. (laughs) You know. And then that's where I believe the quote came from. uh, uh, You know, good musicians borrow, great musicians steal. Um, But don't tread on me. I'm going to start with Dick because I, I know he likes this song. <laughs> I remember, so a couple, like, however long ago, I told Nick, I was, just, I was just over there hanging out, and I think it was for Bruise with Dudes or something, I was like, I can't wait to do this this album because Don't Tread on Me is my favorite Metallica song. <laughs> and he's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? For each their own. Sure. Really? I think, I, I, 
I know you said that to me before, and I believe my response is to stop talking to you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, oh, in terms of just like this off the beaten path songs for Metallica, this is my favorite song of theirs. Uh, it, it, it's it's got so many cool elements in terms of like the guitar and the layering and all that. Uh, it's got some really cool ass leads, and it's just it's just. It's the simplicity of it really gets me going, honestly. It's it's the simplicity of it really bores the fuck out of me. Yeah. Um the the <laughs> chorus is extremely memorable. Yeah. Um even you know, I don't necessarily I don't really like the song, but I definitely know the chorus. Um it's kind of catchy. The solo to me was I I wrote mediocre. Um oh, and then it just doesn't it's another it's another forgettable one for me. What what gets me going is like all those uh, all those cool like guitar layerings in the beginning of the song. I love all that. And my favorite part of the song is after the solo, as they get ready to get back into the chorus, where the drums, the bass, that's my favorite part of the song. I really like the how tribal that, drum beat there. Uh, uh, it, it's it, it, it like it all syncs up together. Nate, what do the uh, sacred notes say? Very limited, actually. Uh, military drums, West Side Story ripoff. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. more heavy, less thrash. This is again them departing from fast and going more towards chunk. Uh, it's always been kind of a personal jam for me. Like I, I, I really do enjoy it even though it's really basic and not a lot of substance to it. Um, that's all I wrote. And the drums that you said, the tribal drums are badass as well. Um, that's it. I've, I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> What's your rank, Nate? A seven. Seven. Nick. Six. We're gonna go with a nine and a half. The song is America. God damn it! <laughs> I, was, I was gonna guess ten for him. Maybe that maybe that's part of why I don't like it because the the, the entire uh, like like feel and imagery of it has been co opted by a bunch of dick jackasses. Yeah, yeah. I also gave this a seven. Uh, it's kind of middle of the road. Uh, it's. It's got some cool riffs. I like the the verses do nothing. The chorus is really catchy and powerful. Solo is pretty it, it it's forgettable, but it fits the song. Um, so yeah. The next track is honestly, man, it's hard. Sometimes you know, if it wasn't for the other, it wasn't for Don't Tread on Me being so iconic within the snake and. Uh, in America, whatever Dick said, I would have a hard time telling these like that song and this song apart. Other than the fact that this next song is a little bit faster and beefier. Through the Never, it spawned a movie concert in name. Uh, but other than that, there's I have nothing else to add as far as notes to this one. This is kind of just a B side. Um, this is another one that I get Justice vibes from with the with the riffage it, but again it's 
condensed, super condensed. So we're like, and in justice, you would have gotten like four minutes of the one riff before you would go on to the next. It's, that's not the case here. And this song, in my opinion, never really gets a chance to, it never gets past like maybe even phase one or maybe not even, doesn't really even get to phase two. It just kind of starts off and stays there. Yeah. Another one of those like somewhat forgettable ones. Uh, I, I wrote "Cool Riffage." Mm-hmm. I, like, I like some of the riffs, and uh, this, I, I like the solo. I thought the solo was pretty cool. Um, but uh, looking at my ranking, apparently the solo was not good enough to uh, bring it up very far. Again, did not save the song. Uh, yeah, couldn't save it. Again, one of my favorite parts of the song is after the solo when the song kind of slows down. And you get that kind of chant, you know. On through. I like that part. Everything else is just kind of this, just there for me. Nate? Um, Notes say thrashy from the jump. It has a very thrashy riff. And actually, I think this is one of those songs where they kind of avoided playing it live for a while because of its difficulty in thrash. Like it was one, it was just kind of a fucky riff that they were, they struggled with. Um, the chorus is pretty catchy. Nick touched on it. The solo section is great. Uh, I wrote without being overly complex, meaning Kirk knew when to get in, do the damage and get out without doing too much to the song. The thing Brando just brought up the time change when it becomes the chanting and they, bring in the like halftime feel with the, the, the tribal drums again is pretty awesome into that final chorus uh yeah that's all i have for notes there guys uh dick have you said anything about through the never yet um so my notes say not as cool as i remember it uh and catchy ass chorus uh, it's an okay song <laughs> i love that riff I, lo- I do love the riff it's just it's an okay song that seems to be kind of the consensus just kind of across the board. Very forgettable. Austin, does this song resonate with you at all? No, I don't remember this <laughs> song at all. Good. I have no memory of it, even when you guys were kind of going over it. I'm like, yep, don't remember that thing. I've been listening to it, and I, I couldn't fucking – I still forget it. What's your rank, Nick? 6.25. Seven. Thanks. Are you sure you don't want to give it a ten? I'm sure. Maybe a nine point five. <laughs> seven. Nate. Seven point five, my friend. I gave it a seven. Um yeah. I really don't have any strong feelings about it. What like I, I don't hate it, it's just kind of there. The next one though was a single. The, this was the third single released in April. Uh, April 20th, 420, baby. Hey, uh, it's a 420 release. I love it. Yeah, 420 on uh, on 90, 1992. This is the song where they brought in composer and orchestral arrangement with from Michael Kamen, where they actually he, where he actually did some backing stuff. It's hard to hear in a final mix. They did turn it down. However, they did release a what they called the elevator elevator mix on one of the singles, it might have been the single for this one, where it's just the guitar, the orchestra, and James. It's kind of a more stripped down. And and uh, this is what got the ball rolling with them working with Michael, and then eventually would lead into S&M. 
so that's kind of neat. But nothing else matters is what you would consider to be the first official. We, we, we've had the Metallica ballads, but this is a ballad. Yeah. Like, straight up Metallica ballad. Oh, I didn't mention the writing credits for Further Than Never. That was James, Lars, and Kirk. This is just James and Lars. And uh, But really, even though uh, the reason why Lars has credits for pretty much every song is because he's really involved with the arrangement. Um, uh, you know, he really does a lot of suggestion, and, and him and James work together to put the songs together. But this song is James' song, 100%. Uh, he, he wasn't sure whether or not it should be even be on the album. It was more personal to him. And when they heard it, they're like, yeah, that needs to be on there. And he actually does the guitar solo for this song. This song is uh, on, the re- on, on, the, on the record. I, I don't even think Kirk plays on it at all. Um, this was all vocally, musically, other than drums and uh, the orchestra. It was all 100% James, which is funny because the video that Dick sent to the chat ab- about Bob Rock getting Kirk so angry that he finally recorded the solo that was the best solo on the record in, in The Unforgiven, where they were arguing and they were talking about he's got to put work into this just like James put work, in, work in, into nothing. If you just hear that as a blanket statement, it just sounds like James hasn't done any work on this record whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, he was talking about Nothing Else Matters because it was like, it was a song that was a risk for the band. It, I mean, they were already doing the risk of toning themselves down and and uh, you know, possibly alienating part of their audience, which they've proven they don't give a fuck what you people think about the shit that they do. And they're they're going to do what they want to do. If you're into it, awesome. If you're not, uh, we'll see you down the road, man. But this is a risk, and um, I'm I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about it. Um, let's start with Nate this time. Arguably, this is the greatest ballad of all time. Really? I mean. In my opinion, musically speaking, beats yes. "Kiss from a Rose." Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I would definitely jam "Nothing Else Matters" a hundred times more than I would jam any "Kiss from a Rose." Damn. But I digress. Poor C. Uh, Seal. Seal's interrupted. See, Seal got really pissed off about that comment. He goes, "You're gonna di- no." I made this everything in this song here. I made the soundtrack for Batman Forever. Damn it. All right, Nate's back. Hi, Nate. Sorry, guys. I don't know how much of me I was lost there. It was literally but, uh, after that. You just completely froze. So we just joked that Seal Seal has hijacked the show. and It's because you said something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. So uh, the vocal harmonies are incredible. In with your uh, headphones on and your Zoom listening device, you can definitely get a little bit of that symphony <laughs> in the mix. I'm going to just keep dropping it. <laughs> Another, fucking, you're a fucking shield for that Zoom. It, it died. It. Let it die. Are, are you getting paid for that? There's no sponsorship. No. There's no sponsorship, dog. <laughs> It's not coming, man. We're not getting a soon deal for the network. <laughs> uh, another acoustic solo on this album that builds uh, also with that vocal tone. Uh, James starts very soft in his tone, and as he gets further in the song, he's getting louder and and carrying phrases longer in how he's singing it. Uh, the bend in solo is so fucking emotional when he comes in with the the just the high pitched right there when it really kicks up you got i mean it nails it perfect execution yeah love this song 
Nick? Uh, so if, if you hadn't realized it before this song, um, I, I realized listening to this that if a Metallica song starts with an acoustic guitar, you know it's going to rip. Um, I, I love the intro. It's got a really fucking awesome solo. Uh, it's just but it's classic Metallica. It's another one of those songs that I, I knew before I knew. You know what I mean? So Not quite banger. Ballad banger? Can we have? Can ballads be bangers? It, it, you know what? Yes. If it's possible, uh, this is right in that this line. This is the one. Because I agree with what you guys said about the solo. It, it, it's pretty simplistic and and design, but it does do exactly what Kirk was able to do when Kirk got pushed to be angry. And and his original uh, solo for Unforgiven wasn't very wasn't very good. But then when they pushed him to the point where he just riffed it and come it came up with that thing that really made you feel. I really feel like that's what James did here. He captured the feeling in a solo. Uh, Austin, do you have anything to add for this one? I love this song. It's my second favorite song on the whole album. It's it, it's amazing. It's absolutely it's, amazing. Uh, aside from the solo, it's the first song I learned how to play on guitar. So Hell yeah. Dick, what do you guys say, man? This song is uh, so good. Uh, just I thought you were gonna say. I was waiting for him to go. It was all right. It's okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Brando too. said it best. <laughs> uh, you guys already said everything I gotta say. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> the song. The song is just so personable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just reading the lyrics here. Uh, it just seems like it's, he's talking to his fans. He's talking to it's, – it's another one of those like where uh, wherever I may roam is like that's about Metallica. That's about their home is the road, their home. This is like James saying like Metallica is me. Metallica is my life. Metallica, this is, Metallica is everything. Well, originally it was just about like a song, like an ode to his wife or girlfriend at the time and then being away. Yeah. And then it, it's it's become one of those songs, songs that's kind of morphed into – a different meaning like and then the solo mm. this is my all-time favorite metallica solo it's just and whereas um unforgiven is my second favorite but no i i just love my favorite solos are those like really long drawn out feely solos like where you're just bearing your heart and soul on the guitar bending those notes like crazy just to just wailing just wailing. So awesome. Just wailing. I don't, just wailing. I think we kind of just said everything that can be said about this song. So we're going to move into the ranks. Um, Dick, what's your rank on this one? Uh, it's a final ten. Final ten. <laughs> my final ten. Uh, if I could give this song an eleven, it would be my first eleven. But it is a ten. Ten. Nick. Yeah, 7.75. I also gave this song a 10. Uh, it is also my final 10. No, this song is tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Like, there, there's not any more seasoning that we can put on this steak to, like, tell you all how good this song is. It, They really brought it. Um, and, and, and they followed it up with another kind of chunky, you know... They didn't bring it in with the, you know, you know, thematically, musically. They changed it up with the next song, track nine of Wolf and Man. 
I need to take a pocket break. So I'll go first because I don't have much to say. Okay. Almost completely forgettable. And I couldn't care less about the lyrics. <laughs> couldn't possibly <laughs> care less. Is this the song? That's is- not the one. That's not the one. Wow. All right. I look forward to what the one is. Yeah, same. Uh, all right, then. Uh, Dick, we'll go with you. Uh, a Open Man, super cool intro. Of the lesser-known tracks, this is probably the, the best. <laughs> that's what's awesome about this and having different people on, because, yeah. and that's why uh, I came up with the rank system that I came up with. We have our own personal list and our own personal album rank, and then we average that out for the overall podcast rank, because... Overall, you know, you're being very favorable, and Nick is being more critical. So that really does like yeah. it, it helps lend more credence. It, it just like it's not just when you, it, it, like it's more variable. And and no, I kind of agree with you. It's really good. Um, I kind of label this in the holier than now territory, but it's almost a step up. It's a little yeah. bit chunkier. Um. I liked the uh, call and answer thing that they do with the uh, shape shift. Nose to the wind. Nose to the wind. It's it's a cool like he's just telling a story. Yeah, he's just telling a story here. It's it's about I love the riff that. Dun, 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 it had that nice little tail on it. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, uh, it's a very fun song to play. Of of, of the few songs. You know, I, I I learned Sandman, Sad but True, Unforgiven, Rome, and this one. This one was just this is so it. I love playing that riff. That riff was just always so much fun to play. Uh, Nate, what do you got for me on the legendary sacred texts? Heavy and angular, lightning vibes, as in ride the lightning feels with how this song kind of hit me. I was like, oh, look at them touching back to who they were. I can kind of hear that a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Uh, I love that it's super jammy and headbanging. You can just like just get into it and lose yourself in the riffs. The breakdown into the solo is probably one of my favorite transitions on the album. It definitely hits for me. And like every time I'm like here for it, yes. Uh, the guitar lead change uh, with the minimal drums is pretty awesome. And the primal vibes are perfect for this song. That is my final statement. I really liked coming out of the solo. <laughs> like a third song, I've said this, where it kind of like slows down a little bit and kind of has like the guitars doing like the wolf howls. And then, of course, maybe maybe a little bit later on, we're going to talk about an album where uh, Newstead actually howls to the crowd, kind of gets the crowd into a little bit. I like that. But uh, Austin, do you remember this one? <laughs> uh, enough that I just uh, repeated, but uh, I agree. Like until like I was getting some more of the like the lyrical content and what's going on. Like I was like, I was completely lost in what this song was doing. But yeah, the like it was good, but I wasn't overly at all. I can't say I was overly at all, all in all at all impressed with the song itself. So, Felt very like kind of repetitive with the way the wrists just kind of juggle sure. around each other. Sure. Very interesting that, like, you know, this song wasn't heavy in the set list. I don't think for that era. But I wonder why. 
Well, but it, but it also made the list for the first S and M, so that's very interesting. Um, but um, who is next? Give me. I I believe it is Nate. Nate, what you got? I gave a wolf and man an eight and a half, eight point five. Nick, <laughs> that Nick's. I believe Nick's ranking is not going to be uh, as not going to be as kind. Um, he's in disbelief. I gave it a five and a half. Five and a half. Um, so, so with, I guess I should say this, especially with this song. Um, the thing about a, a bad Metallica song is that it's still an okay song. Sure. So, uh, I will say that. I will say this, uh, just based off of just pre- you know, for right now, Nick, this is your lowest ranking Metallica song. Oh, we can go lower. It's, it's coming. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, something, something to point out. Um, I, I try with uh, every song to say something good. Sure. And I'll, I, I do not have anything good on these notes. So it, I got to wonder, like, what the fuck happened? With, did Kirk help write this? Uh, a Wolf and Man? Did I? I didn't say, did I? Uh, a I Wolf and so. Man. Yes, he did. <laughs> Kirk, Lars, and James. So, I don't know if it's been said, but that to my to my memory, that is the second or third song that when when Kirk is on has a credit, it's garb. Well, and and it's funny because then the first track of the record, he wrote the main lick of Inner Sandman, and and, and is probably financially set for life because of it. <laughs> I mean that that the Inner Sandman riff is is one of the greatest riffs of all time. Sure, so. absolutely. It's it just kind of funny how it's it, it's got a kind of a, a like a like a whale of the scales, you know. He he fucking yeah he 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 writes awesome solos. He's an amazing guitarist, and it, it seems like a portion of the time I see him getting writing credits. I'm like, dog, are you the fu- are you the fucking problem here? <laughs> Art? I don't know. All right, I don't know. Dick, what, what's your rank, man? Uh, I'm gonna go with seven and a half. Seven and a half. I almost wrote down seventy. <laughs> That'll skew some shit. Yeah, it will. Uh, no, I gave this me highest rated song. I was teetering on this one, um, but I do feel like, yeah, this, this is one. This is one that I came back to because I feel like of the songs that really don't resonate on the album, this one is just. It's got a little bit of a step up, but not much. It, it's on the holier than now scale, so it, so it's an eight for me. Uh, the next song, "The God That Failed," uh, a, a somewhat personal song for James. I do believe that this is about uh, his mother's um, fight with cancer and how she kind of refused to get treatment because she, you know they, that, as I said earlier, they were Christian scientists. They didn't really believe in going to the doctor, and they just believed that God would heal them. And he had to sit there and watch her waste away. And so then, this is almost kind of like his little like you know pounding his fist at God song. Like if if you're there and you're real, and she she was wanting your help, why didn't you do it? You know. So thematic, yeah. So like so thematically, thematically the song is excellent. Musically, it's on another level for me. It's doesn't quite get there. 
it falls into that prior category, but with "Don't Tread on Me" and "Through the Never," I don't really like the the call and response for the for the for the lick. I, I kind of find that annoying. Um, it's I like the chorus, uh, especially the line, you know, the healing hand held back by the deep and nail. That's a great line, fantastic line. Right. But overall. I feel like this is a song that could have been better. I'm not sure about you guys. How about you, Nate? Uh, for the notes, I have very few things to say. Awesome bass groove. Yeah, the it bass definitely is cool. like. Oh, hey, look, the bass. It's actually really shining <laughs> on this song and doing something special. Uh, overall, it's straightforward. Um, anti-religion. Chorus guitar is really fun and intricate, but simple. The song. That's all I have. It, it, yeah, not much more to be said. Dick. Another heavy one, simple groove, like sad but true. I like the chorus. I like the just the singing on it. It's cool. <clears throat> I like it. So here's a shocker. Um, I love this song. <laughs> um, it's one that uh, I hadn't really uh, listened to much. Um, and uh, getting preparing to do this podcast, um, going through and listening to multiple times, it was my favorite song that I now will put in rotation. Um, I, I really liked the riff. I thought it had a really cool uh, solo. And um, the outro, I really liked the uh, the guitars in the outro. I like the dual guitar thing that they, uh, wait, no, I'm thinking of, the, I'm thinking of a different song, aren't I? Yeah, I am. My bad. Kind of does that sometimes. Um, this might uh, this might be a good time for uh, for me to point out too. Um, this is the first uh, album that we've done um, that I did list I, I did listen throughs while reading the lyrics. Oh, cool. Um, <clears throat> and and that de- that definitely uh, added added layers to uh, uh, to my liking of. Um, you know, in my head, I already had the preconceived notion like that. This is uh, the turning point. This album is uh, is the turning point from the the heavy, heavy thrash um, that I really like. The more almost like like the worst production. I I, I like the fact that like like Kill 'Em All sounds like you you recorded it in a garage. Um, more Shit raw, like that. less overproduced. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was the, that was the sleeper for me. That was the one that I was like, "All right, here we go with another one that I haven't heard very much." And it was like, "Damn, cool." So this was penned by James and Lars. They got writing credits. Austin, do you have anything to add on this one, or is this one kind of forgettable for you? No, this one was a good one. I remember this one being a solid track. This was like definitely one of my top tracks of the album just because it just felt so angry and the lyrics were just so well written where you could tell it was just yelling at, you know, the, a power you can't control or like yelling at like something that you can't do anything about. And it's just so mad at that helplessness. Right on, man. Right on. So Nick hit me with your rank, man. You're an eight. Eight. That is your second highest of the record. Dick? It was seven. Seven. 
And Nate. 7.75. 7.75. Using those points. I also gave it a 7. Um, as I said, I, I love it thematically. I just don't think it really resonates with me personally. Uh, uh, musically. But um, this next one. This next one was uh, has writing credits from James Lars and Jason Newstead on his sole on his sole writing credit for the record. He wrote uh, the bass lick that pretty much inspired the song. He was hoping this would be the song, uh, this album's instrumental because they had been doing instrumentals for every album going forward, and they chose not to do that on this time around. They actually made a song. This is the longest song on the album, and uh, this song is called "My Friend in Misery." And if I can be frank. Uh, here, I think this song is the most justice sounding, even of even even with all the thrashers. I feel like it's got that this like dark vibe, almost like kind of like a heavier cruncher one that you can feel like it, it almost fits thematically with the justice, like how how he sings or, or like you know how he sings the uh, the verses. But it's got a nice little breakdown in the middle. Where they do like this kind of ambiance thing with the guitars, and they and, and they pull it back up into a solo, and this is what I was thinking of with like the dual, like like harmony guitar solo stuff that that they, that they did in Justice. James and Lars, or not James Lars, <laughs> Lars, Lars going up there with a the damn guitar. Here, here, Kirk, let me show you how this is done. Here, you've been uh, phoning it in on the whole record now, and I'm gonna just. Kirk, Kirk was like, "Sounds stock. It's so stock. Here, try this." No, no, Kirk and James are, are, are like dual guitar leading here, and it sounds amazing. Uh, this is, in my opinion, of the songs that are low-key on the record that you don't know that weren't hits, this is my favorite one. Uh, Nick, what do you got to say about this one? Uh, this was, for the longest time, my favorite song on the album. I don't know why. Um... It wasn't on the rate. It was on the radio, mm-hmm. um, or as much. Would it? I don't know. I've never heard on the radio myself. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Where'd he go? Yeah, we lost video for Nick. Hold on. And he's back. All right. Cool. Um, so the first thing I wrote is that it has a a, a nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know where that comes from. It might it might be um, when I so I'd heard all these songs on the radio for so long, and I finally decided to delve into it and like listen to the whole albums. Um, and it must have just been the one that stuck out to me. Um, I love the interlude, and it, I think it's the most unique guitar solo um, that he does on the album, the first half, and yeah. then it leads. And then it leads into classic Kirk. Yeah. The like kind of um, jammy section. Yeah. And then I love that um, for a good portion of the end of the song, Kirk's just wilding out. He's just, <laughs> yeah, he's just rocking it. So. I love the chorus on this one. Same. It, Me too. Very, very easy and simple, but man, it, um, what I will add to what I said earlier because uh, I kind of forgot about this back during the early days of the pandemic that we have been in and just thrust it into uh, Metallica for like the entire summer. It was like 23 straight weeks almost. I don't know if that was, if that's the exact number they aired a new uh, concert 
that they hadn't made for free available on their YouTube channel and and, and they live streamed it every Monday. Stuff all you know, there was stuff all the way back from Kill 'Em All, the Black Album Tour, Justice, uh, late '90s, uh, current you know more current stuff. And one of the shows that they did was a show where they were they were celebrating the uh, probably at that point the 20th, 20th. anniversary. Yep. Of the Black Album, and they played the entire album in whole in reverse. So they started with like the last song and worked their way back. And I remember because my dad had just died. Uh, it was either like the week after that, and I I was having a really hard time, um, coping, I guess. And I remember I got really inebriated. Um on maybe some 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 questionably legal substances and I'm just like sitting in my chair just like floating watching them play I had nothing else to do with my life <laughs> at this point in time I'm just existing and they 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 were playing and then they started like with with the drums from the last track on the album I'm like what <laughs> they're playing this song <laughs> and then they went into my friend of misery and it hit me on such a deeper level than I think it's ever hit me. Holy shit. I don't know if it's where I was emotionally, if if, if it's my elevated state. It got me. Like it, like, it, it, like I brought tears to my eyes. I got goosebumps. And I texted Nate. I said, hey, they're playing Black Album in reverse on Monday, Metallica. Um, and I'm just like, I have to share this with somebody because I'm like, it's Wow. Like this, that was such a moment for me, you know, to know that this is a band who I've been listening to for like over 20 years now. Uh, and, and, and a song that's almost like, that's, that's almost 30 years old. And they, and they played it at some point and I'm just sitting there in the right mind space, the right moment can still hit you. And that's, that's marks of good, of good musicians, good art, good songs. And the, and the fact that, you know, they don't ever really play this song live and they, and they killed it. And um, absolutely. So, uh, Dick, I'll toss it over to you. Uh, my friend of misery, slower intro, cool bass, oh, the rhythm it. as well. Uh, cool, clean bridge into subdued phaser solo is what I wrote for my notes. It is almost kind of. It does kind of have a have a, like yeah. a phaser type effect. Uh, it's I, totally I, different from from every other solo he does on the album. It is, and and that makes it stand out. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I can't remember who said it, but uh, I like the chorus. I like the, yeah. the all the harmonies James does, all the du- vocal doubling, and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. There's much more to life than what you see, man. I tell you, as I said, like the the song freaking hit me at, at the right point in my life where I did feel like everything was on my shoulders, and I was in just plain, you know. Miserable existence, and it, it, it something so easy and something so easily written as far as like that, and it's just like I remember this song. Oh, it grooves. Oh, yeah, wow. It's not it's not terribly technical at all. No, not really. But it's but it does its job, dude. As I said, uh, it almost you can almost paste this song and put it into justice, and with a few changes, it would fit. You know, to fit in like uh, this is like it's like it's more simple. And I'm pretty sure that like, in fact, there was a guy 
there's a guy that does stuff where he puts Metallica songs on different albums and messes with the tones and the like even the arrangement. And my friend of misery on Justice was he did one and, it, and he made it like seven eight minutes and and he actually made it an instrumental. <laughs> and it's really freaking neat. But uh, Nate, what do you got for me, bud? Haunting and beautiful bass intro that kicks in with a wall of guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, this song is very atmospheric. Um, this is where their groove, uh, you know, there are notes and things happening again where you're hearing what's about to happen in their career. A little taste of load and reload is in this song, and you can hear it starting to bubble at the surface where they pull things back, have more twangy guitar, yeah. bring out different styles of instrumentation to not be this super thrash lord band that they've been known for. Uh, one of my favorite lines in this song is one man's fun is another's hell. I mean, she like just like right in the fucking heart punch. Uh, the breakdown in the bass section where everything kind of fades away and the bass kicks back in and then the guitars build up into their solos is absolutely incredible. I listened to this song twice because of the question we're all having of what's up with that first part of that solo? Why is it different? Why does it sound weird? What's going on? Is it a phase or what is it? Listening in the headphones in the Zoom as I have. <laughs> Sorry. If people are having a drinking game during watching our ranking walls and Zoom is the if trigger word, if they're, they're doing a marathon, wasted. dude, they are done. Like you're tapping out right now. Anyways. I go Zoom, 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 Zoom. Oh, shit. Oh, there you go. Now people are just smoked. Yeah, you you almost caught up to how many times he brought it. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to Zoom, 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 Zoom a little more. And now we're even. Okay, great. Um, but I'm pretty like 98% sure that first solo is actually played with an octave pedal that is octaving four layers down and four layers up. So it is a wall of multiple versions of the same guitar making this Which is really- why live they do the, the dual. Yep, that makes yep. sense. That's cool. Uh, second solo, Wales. Third solo is icing on the cake. I fucking love this song. And I also love how... Although they didn't play this song a lot live in their careers, they would use parts of this song for Jason and Kirk to have a little solo thing when James and Lars needed a break in future albums. Well, I mean, because uh, some of the tours that they would go on, uh, they would just be the only band. There wouldn't be uh, an opener. So they they would play like a two or something hour, two and a half hour long set, and they would kind of have like a little interlude in the middle where they would have a jam section. Um. And uh, so, so we're about to get to the ranks here. Um, I'm going to go first this time. Uh, I gave a song a nine. I think, as I said, this is my favorite non-major song on the record. And it shows because I mean, it's universally like we all loved it. And um, so now I'm going to throw it over to Nate. What'd you give it, bud? An 8.25. Dick. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. And Nick. I gave it an eight. Eight. That is probably the most universal uh, song so far. We're really close there, guys. Other than like uh, maybe Unforgiven, like like we are pretty pretty tight on that one. So I can only assume that the song that Nick is uh, that that was a question for Nick, and we lost as a video once again. Fuck this, we're out. <laughs> and he's back. There we go. The struggle within the album closer uh, starts with the snare drums. Uh, Nick, please lay it on me. What are your thoughts? All right. He's cracking his neck. 
He's getting ready. <laughs> so I, we'll start with what I like. Uh, because the guitars at the very beginning made me feel like we were getting ready to jump into like an old school Metallica song. Yep. Um, that that happiness immediately fades. I do. I don't like the way he does the vocals. Uh, I think it's weird the, the, the way he's doing it. Um, I looked at the lyrics, and as far as I can tell, it's just a fucking mess. Um, uh, I like the solo. I thought the solo was pretty cool. Um, and I, I wrote terrible ending for an album. Um, it just kind of ends. Um, it, it, you know, it just does like a like a da 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 da, and it's it's over. I'm like, that's it. This 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 really good album, and that's how you're gonna fucking end it. Okay, so yeah. Not much good to say. I guess I have more good to say about that than, uh, what was it? Of Wolf and Man. Of Wolf and Man. Um, you didn't really have much of all to say about that. So No, I just wanted that one to be done. Um, so, yeah. yeah that, that's my breakdown. Uh, it, my struggle was getting through the struggle within. So, you struggled within. Yeah. I actually just listened to that with him, and I was just all like, is this over yet? <laughs> You mentioned you mentioned how he sings the lyrics, and it just the one line re, uh, just reaches out to me, reaching out, reaching out, <laughs> and it's almost like a parody, in some ways, of yeah. some of the great stuff that's on this album. I I do feel like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and, and and maybe this isn't it, but I feel like this is the one they put the least time and effort into. They were like, yeah, well, we need to wrap this up, guys. We we have really behind. We need to get that. We need to get this album over to mixing now. James, are, are the lyrics done? No. Uh, uh, okay, I'll go sing it right now. And then they, he just went in and did it. Uh, this album, or not album, this song for me is my least favorite song in the entire record. Uh, same as Nick's. Um, <laughs> but in my ranking, I was a little bit more generous and rated it along with some of the other ones. So, yeah. Um, Nate, what do you got? Uh, marching drums intro. Okay, cool. It definitely has a justice tone, though. Like you're hearing it, and you're like, "Oh, this could be justice." See, that's like, kind of what I, I saw. Some of these, uh, like in between songs, you can. It's uh, like a throwaway justice tune. Well, as, as I said, just in tone, you can you can lift them and put them over there and rework them, and they would be like, "Well, this is this works." Um, but it doesn't like for the for, like, for the major bangers on here. That's not the case. But like for something like through the never. Or, or something like that, and this one, uh, it just it feels like it could slide in. I asked the question on my own notes just for your guys. Is this, like, supposed to be thematically a Dyer's Eve sequel? Like, is that what they were going for? Like, it ends the album kind of like Dyer's Eve ended the album. It starts with the same kind of punch. It's supposed to be fast and thrashy, but it really doesn't deliver. The solo section is is a groovy, tasty little number, but that's it's it's not m most unmemorable. Like I don't think I know a lyric in the song except for "struggle within." Wow, <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah, Dick. So my notes say, <laughs> "struggle within," weakest link, fast punky song. 
I do like the riff melody leading into the chorus. That's pretty much it. That's all I have to say about this song. Well, we want to just uh, get this over with. Uh, start with Nick. Nick, what'd you rank this one, bud? God damn it. He ranked it a zero. Ranked it fuck four. Four. Dick. Uh, we're going to go with a six. Nate. I have it at a 6.25. I gave it a seven. As I said, I kind of made it the baseline. Some of the songs that really didn't really hit with me, they're still pretty damn good. Um, but we have literally ranked every song on the most commercially successful Metallica album. It's a commercially successful album. Of all, one, of, one of them, the highest ones of all time. Really big episode here. So we're going to run down the averages. Brando's yes. album ranking is an 8.4. Nate got an 8.25. Dick, 8.5. And Nick, a 6.75. Which lands the master rank for Metallica's self-titled record, the Black Album, at a 7.9. Which is the second lowest rated so far. Kill 'em all right now is lowest rated. Kill 'em all, right? yeah. For us, Kill 'em all got a seven point five, and then Ride the Lightning got an eight point four. Justice got an eight point three. Master got an eight point eight, and slotting in right next in now uh, second to last place, so uh, third place. Wait, fourth place. Fourth, yeah, fourth place. My bad, guys. I can math. Uh, Seven point nine for Black Album. It's going to be interesting to see where things go from here. As we, oh uh, yes, as we uh, slide into the nineties uh, load era. Friends don't let friends get friends' haircuts. <laughs> True that. True that. Written on the base of Alice in Chains for their Unplugged. Well, Metallica sitting front row to watch that. And, uh, yeah, next episode we'll be talking about Load, guys. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of, of Rank Em All where we talked about Metallica's Black Album. And I just want to take a second and thank Nick thank, and, and Austin for joining us here today. Uh, this was honestly one of my most anticipated ones. that like, Ones for a good reason. Uh, maybe the other ones coming up, maybe it'll be more... It, it, I will be anticipating to hear what people have to say because whereas... You know, as Nick said before, it's kind of a teetering point um, where we go from here. But it's going to be interesting to see what individual songs, how they rank with us personally and how we think about them. Because, you know, one would have thought maybe that us all being metalheads, we would have gave a better, a little bit favorable rating to kill them all than, than what we did. So it's going to be interesting to see if Load comes in and what if Load, maybe Load won't be the lowest one. It's better than kill them all. We're all like, what the fuck? I have heard debates that a lot of people say Metallica was the last good album. Well, the Black Album was the last good album by Metallica, and other people go, no, Load is the last good album, and that was the fall off. And there's like... That's a cool debate. Yeah, That's the, a cool debate. debate to go back and forth. Uh, but yeah, th yeah, thank you two for joining us here today. Dick, thank you for being on here. Thank you. Yeah, to, to, to gush about the Black Album. And Nate... Thank you. My brother. The Podfather. Thank you for being here. 
as well. And uh, we encourage you to check out this podcast um, over there on the Podcastrophe feed. Search Podcastrophe. You'll find Rank Them All, as well as the YouTube feed for the video version. You can check that out as well. And, uh, and of course, uh, Rank Them All is a collaborative podcast. It, it's, we're, we are going to go forward and cover different artists and different bands, and we're going to have different uh, panelists going along the way as well. It's, it's not always just going to be us four. It could be a different uh, mixture of us and some other people. And maybe we'll all come back. Maybe the four of us will come back and do another set. But that's what's cool about this is because we're going to get different perspectives and different bands because it's not necessarily fair if we're going to listen to a band that maybe someone's not that into and their rankings may not be true, you know, you know, you know and, and it may not be their forte. But, you know, we look forward to, to doing more of these shows, progressing through the Metallica ranks as we've done. And um, for Nick and Austin... For Dick Tyner, for Nate Phillips, I've been Brando, and we have been dubbed Unforgiven right here as we ranked Metallica, self-titled record, the Black Album, on Rank Em All. See you guys later. See ya.